Udham Dhammang Sankhang Namasam In the talk that I gave last weekend, I commented on a conversation that I've been having with Ajahn Tiradamo about the uh, first two factors of the Eightfold Path. We talked about Samma, Ditti and Samma, Sankapa and, and uh, talking about the, particularly the second factor of the Eightfold Path that Ajahn Tiradamo rather likes to translate as right aspiration. And uh, I was giving my rendering of that as, as right activation. However, this this uh, rendering, this translation that Ajahn Tiradhamma has is right aspiration, I, I do think is, is particularly relevant. And it's important that these teachings that we've inherited and that we are engaging, that we are using them in ways that are relevant, uh, that are practical, that are applicable. Initially, when we find out about the Buddha's teachings, we perhaps have an initial level of faith that arises out of finding something that doesn't require a compromise. And we, can, we can give ourselves into this. And the Buddha's teaching allows us, invites us, encourages us to question that doubting is, is more than okay. And, uh, doubting is, is to be uh, engaged in our practice and to be valued as a can be a way of deepening faith. It's not a, it's not a sign of our failing to have doubts. And the Buddha didn't ask us to blindly believe in anything. He asked us to inquire, and this spirit of inquiry is very much a part of the aspiration, the aspiration to understand. And also, I would suggest that this aspiration is connected to what we mean when we say that we go for refuge. Uh, we, most of us will be aware of the traditional form of going for refuge to the Triple Gem, going for refuge to the Buddha, going for refuge to the Dhamma, going for refuge to the Sangha, and Buddhang Saranangachami in the Pali language, Dhammang Saranangachami, Sankhang Saranangachami. And on the initial level, of going for refuge, we are perhaps relating to it in terms of the form of the Buddha. And we've, we hear about this human being that, that was around 2,600 years ago who, because of the effort that he made, realized Buddhahood, realized awakening and the freedom from all suffering and, and then spent the rest of his life manifesting perfect wisdom and compassion. And, and we have confidence in the teachings that that this person left us. And, and then we have Buddha images that symbolize this being, this wisdom, this compassion, and we bow down to this Buddha. This is the external Buddha. And in terms of what it really means to say, I go for refuge to the Buddha, or I am going for refuge to the Buddha because this Pali Buddhang Saranangachami, that word Gachami is a first 
person present tense. It's the, I am going for refuge to the Buddha. It's not, I have gone. I mean, sometimes people say, oh, I've gone for refuge to the Buddha as a sort of like a club membership. And, and maybe there's perhaps something in that initially. However, hopefully we will move beyond merely feeling like we belong to a group of people who have faith in the Buddha and take it from the form of the Buddha more towards the spirit. And, and if that's the case, and say, I go for refuge to the Buddha, I would suggest that that's a dynamic process. That's not just, a, well, this is something I've done, I've gone for refuge to the Buddha. Rather, something we're doing. I am going for refuge to the Buddha. And we could interpret that, uh, as reflecting on aspiration, we could interpret that as saying, what does it mean? I aspire, I aspire to be perfectly aware. I aspire to be perfectly aware. Buddhang Saranangachami, I aspire to be perfectly aware. Yes, we could say Buddhang Saranangachami and and, and align ourselves with with the, the many centuries of other human beings who've been uttering these party phrases. However, in practice, let's also stop and consider what do we really mean by that? What do we mean by I go for refuge or I am going for refuge to the Buddha? And consider, perhaps, in terms of what it is that we're aspiring towards. The origin of this Buddhang Saranagachami, I, I spoke recently with a, a friend, a Dr. Thomas Jones, who is very well informed when it comes to Pali, and he was explaining to me, well, the, the, the exact grammar of this phrase, but also the origin of it, which is the words Saranagachami originally to do with swearing allegiance to a powerful person like a king or something and then putting oneself under their protection and then it morphed to being more the spiritual protection in this case putting oneself under the protection of the Buddha however let's remember not just the form of the Buddha not just the external Buddha which of course is still very meaningful rather also the the spirit, what, what is the Buddha that we go for refuge to, the awareness that we go for refuge to, letting that be something that we aspire towards. Yeah. I aspire to be perfectly aware. And what's the implication of that? The implication of that is that it brings into focus all those imperfections of awareness when awareness is obstructed. And what is the nature of the obstructions of awareness? When am I not going for refuge to the Buddha? When I'm going refuge to my way, atang saranangachami, I go for refuge to my way, to the limitations that we impose on awareness. The Buddha is apamano buddho. The Buddha is measureless, limitless. Apamano buddho. The Buddha is edgeless. There are no edges to the Buddha's awareness. In our case, there's all sorts of edges, all sorts of limitations that we are imposing on awareness. That is what the deluded sense of I is. That's what I is, is the habitual imposition of limited awareness. And we're doing that over and over again by manifesting my way, attachment to my way, 
clinging to my way, my views, my rights, my opinions. Now, talking like this, of course, it might sound like I'm suggesting that we should let go of having views and opinions in the sense of getting rid of them. Well, most definitely that's not the case. We need to have views and opinions. However, it's how we have them. How we have them. Do we have them, as Ajahn Chah was explaining, there's a wonderful talk called Learning from the Natural Mind, where Ajahn Chah talks about how the Buddha used to have wanting before he was the Buddha, and he had wanting without wisdom, and so he suffered accordingly. And then when he became the Buddha, he had wanting, but he had wanting with wisdom, and so there was no longer any suffering. So now there was having wanting in a very different way. So having views and having opinions is not the problem. It's how we have the views, how we have the opinions. Are we having them in a way whereby we're identified as them, where we're rigidly clinging to fixed views and fixed opinions? My way and the Buddha's way, are they the same thing? Well, if we go for refuge to the Buddha, if we aspire to be perfectly aware, then maybe that's going to help us become alert. And when we're suffering, what's the problem? Well, we could be thinking, oh, this person said that to me, or that person said this to me, or the climate's not good enough, or I've got a, you know, I've got an ingrown toenail, or the things that we could blame for, for our suffering. Or we could look at what we're doing with our awareness. If our refuge is in the Buddha, if our refuge is in perfect awareness, then maybe we'll remember to see that in this moment we are imposing limitation on awareness. The Buddha had pain. Descriptions in the scriptures of the Buddha dying from having an upset stomach and when he was old, sunning his back in the morning sun on Vulture's Peak. The Buddha had pain, but as we have spoken about many times before, the Buddha didn't have problems. And what's the difference? Was the, there was no clinging for the Buddha, so there was no imposition of limitation on awareness. The Buddha's awareness was edgeless, measureless, perfect, pure. And so that's what I go for refuge to. I aspire to be perfectly aware. And when I'm suffering... It's because I'm imposing limitations on awareness. So that's a helpful refuge. Dhammang Saranangachami. On the level of form, we have the words, we have the teachings. We've just been reciting the Dhammachaka Bhavatana Sutta, the Buddha's discourse on the Four Noble Truths, the, the first formal teaching that the Buddha gave and has been handed down. And, and we're really fortunate to have these teachings and we can study these teachings and reflect on what they mean. However, that's the form, and of course we respect that. We honour that. Is that what we really go for refuge to? Because if we're not careful, we could be arguing about, is the Dhamma Chakrapawatana Sutta really what the Buddha taught? Or some scholars say that this is not the real formulation, the Four Noble Truths, and come up with an argument about why it doesn't make logical sense. And, and I think they're missing the point. And that is what happens if we cling to the words. We can end up falling out with each other, even over the Buddha's teachings on the Four Noble Truths. On one level, yes, we respect the books and 
the respect the word, we respect the form of the Dhamma. And on another level, perhaps on the level of spirit, maybe what it means to go for refuge to the Dhamma could be interpreted as saying, I aspire to be perfectly honest. Dhamma is truth, is actuality, that which is, that which actually is, behind the stories, behind all the lies we tell ourselves, like, you know, like, I'm going to live forever. <laughs> well, of course, we're not going to live forever. Nobody's ever lived forever. Uh, we're all going to die. However, we get around often as if we're going to live forever. And, and when something happens that threatens this story we're telling ourselves that I'm going to live forever, we, it's a, a terrible shock. Or, or somebody else dies. and so how, did, how could that happen? Well, it was the most logical, obvious thing. It was always going to happen. From the moment the person was born, they guaranteed that person was going to die. Well, we tell ourselves these stories like we're going to live forever or, or that clinging to happiness is going to increase happiness when mm, actually what happens when we cling to happiness? Well, when we cling to pleasant feeling, uh, the truth is we also cling to painful feeling. You cling to feeling, you cling to feeling. That's the truth. And we don't want to acknowledge that truth. We just, when pleasure comes along and Things are agreeable, agreeable company, agreeable food, agreeable climate and harmonious situation. And this is how life should be. And if we're not careful, if we're not going for refuge to the Dhamma, if we're telling ourselves stories, if we're lying to ourselves, then we really believe that. So this is how it should be. In truth, behind the lies, behind the stories, it's like this and it's going to change. Sooner or later, there will be disharmony. The weather won't be agreeable, the food won't be agreeable, health won't be agreeable, and there'll be disappointment, there'll be loss. This is normal. Going for refuge to the Dhamma is, I aspire to be perfectly honest. And, and that, again, I would suggest is a very practical way of interpreting what it means by Dhammang Saranangachami. I aspire to be perfectly honest. However, let's not assume that that's going to be easy. It it might sound inspiring, and I do find it inspiring. Uh, I'm going for refuge to the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, very inspiring. However, let's be careful not to assume that it's going to be easy because we're really experts at telling ourselves stories, uh, lying to ourselves, and, and to undo the tangles that we have caused ourselves by believing in self-view, in my way of doing things and the entitlement I have to get what I want, when I want. Probably none of us need to have it pointed out to us that it's very painful when, when things don't go my way. And going for refuge to the Dhamma inevitably means that we're going to have to own up to all of that, all of it. And depending on how serious we are in our going for refuge to the Dhamma, we're going to have to face all of that unmet life that we have stored away in the basement. And we're going to have to deal with all of it. Every room, every door has to be opened and we have to see what's inside, what we've stored away until there aren't any more lies, until there aren't any more stories that we're convinced by.
that might sound a bit daunting. However, to say I go for refuge to being perfectly honest, I find that inspiring and encouraging and, and strengthening and nourishing. And in so doing, it can help bring into focus when that's what we're not doing, when we're telling ourselves stories, when we're allowing ourselves to be pulled into the vortex of delusion. And so and in theory, we don't want to do that. However, the momentum of habit, it's very easy to be pulled into that, especially when we, we feel tired or if we get sick or if we get fed up and, and lacking energy and, and we feel pulled down by it. And, well, I go for refuge to being perfectly honest. I find that uplifting. I, I aspire to be perfectly honest. And, and I aspire... We were talking about going for refuge to the Sangha, the Sangkang Saranangan Chami. I aspire to being perfectly harmonious. The conventional Sangha, the form of the Sangha, the, the Buddha talked about, the, the spiritual community of beings who are irreversibly or unshakably established on the path of practice. And maybe you're familiar with that that discourse where the Buddha was talking to Anuruddha and his friends and how they were living together in the most beautiful harmony and shared consideration of how to generate mutual benefit. How to live together in a way that generates mutual benefit. How to live in a way that generates harmony. I go for refuge to the Sangha. I aspire to be perfectly harmonious. Now that's not... That's not. We don't want to be overly idealistic about that, and then and then really give ourselves a, a, a difficult time when we're not being perfectly aware, or not being perfectly honest, or not being perfectly harmonious. Rather, holding it up just like the Buddha image. We bow down to the Buddha image. We raise the Buddha image up, and we bow down to it, so that it's something that encourages us. And, and likewise, these refuges ask of ourselves. What does it really mean? What does it really mean to go for refuge? You know, study the Pali words. You know, you know, the, the word sarana, you know, basically a, a sanctuary or, a, or security. And gachami, you know, going for refuge. You know, I am going for refuge to what? To the Buddha. What does that mean? To the Dhamma. What does that really mean? Don't just accept what the experts, the professionals, the monks and nuns and the books, don't just accept what they say. The Buddha, again referring to the Kalama Sutta, the Buddha discouraged believing in the experts. He didn't say disrespect the experts, certainly not. He certainly didn't say disbelieve in tradition or what the elders say. However, not to blindly believe in what they say either, rather to genuinely take this on as a personal inquiry and ask for ourselves, what does it mean to go for refuge to the Buddha? What does it mean to go for refuge to the Dhamma? What does it mean to go for refuge to the Sangha? Thank you very much this evening for your attention. Andamayang Kapitataya Sadu Karangadama Sadu Sadu